Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Hello, listeners. How you doing? How you been? Have you missed me? I neglected this sweet little podcast because, well, I helped launch a whole other podcast. If you're familiar with the American Craft Council, you've probably heard of their publication, American Craft Magazine. Well, in conjunction with that, the American Craft Podcast was launched. Now, I am not the full-time host and producer of the podcast, although I wish I was. I was only signed on for the first six episodes, so I have a big ask of you all. Like, a pretty big ask for me. Find the American Craft Podcast wherever you listen. If you can on Apple Podcasts, that's best. Give us a rate and a review. And in that review, if you so kindly want to say Sarah Rachel Brown did an amazing job as a host and producer, I would be very grateful. Let them know you want to hear more episodes. Today's interview was recorded last August. That's right, almost a year ago. And I had the best intentions of releasing this podcast so many times since then, but things just kept getting in the way, which you're going to hear a lot about in season five of Perceived Value, which launches in August. That's right. New season coming up. I'm doing something I've never done before with season five. I am planning it out ahead of time in a very responsible way. I've been recording interviews over the past months. I've contacted potential sponsors with a marketing kit. I'm focusing my conversations around a central theme. And I paid good money to work with a podcasting coach to learn all this this past year. And you're going to get to reap the benefits. So to recap, season five of Perceived Value launches in August. And the theme? Transitions. And money. Always money. If you follow me on social media at Sarah Rachel Brown or at Perceived Value, you probably heard that I quit my full-time job in May to freelance, hopefully as a podcaster. Supporting the work I do is important now more than ever. There are links in the description of the podcast for my Patreon, which allows you to support through a subscription-style payment model. I also accept donations through PayPal or become a sponsor of the podcast. Does a sponsorship sound expensive to you? It doesn't have to be. I'm rolling out this new idea and I'm still, mm, there's many details to think about, but basically the gist of it is this. I want it to be sliding scale and I want it to be available for students or small businesses just getting started who really could use some advertising, but probably don't have the budget for it. So DM me, give me an email and let's chat. Speaking of sponsors, Today's episode is sponsored by Saffron Everyday. I am a jeweler, and I got into making jewelry because I love jewelry, and I have quite the collection. I'm embarrassed to say that it's mostly been sitting in drawers, getting tangled up, then damaged. 
I recently made the decision to organize my collection, a decision inspired by Saffron Every Day. I follow this woman-owned business on Instagram, and when I saw their wall-mounted jewelry holders, I got real excited. Coming with 10 years experience in the jewelry world, Maya Aleppo bought her first home and couldn't find simple and affordable household basics, like, you know, a teepee holder or a towel rack. And she also didn't want to support big box stores. So she started this business, Saffron Every Day, and stepped in to fill the gap with minimalist, functional home good designs and, of course, fun, lovely jewelry. The thing I really love about Saffron Everyday's jewelry holders is that they were designed by a jeweler who knows exactly what jewelry lovers need in order to organize their collections. I'm obsessed with my two large jewelry holders. They work well, they were easy to install, and I also went with a tabletop jewelry holder to hold, you know, my smaller earrings that I typically throw on my bedside table. All pieces are offered in a variety of hues. I chose pistachio and blush to complement my bedroom. Follow Saffron Every Day at Saffron Every Day. Let me spell that out for you. It's S-A-F-R-A-N and then every day. And receive 10% off your first order when you sign up for their mailing list. That's real easy to do. Go do that right now. Today's episode features someone I met very early on in my craft school days and have kept in touch with over the years. He is someone who is incredibly skilled, but doesn't take himself too seriously. He works really hard, but makes sure to have a lot of fun doing so. And you can see this in his work. Haley Woodward is a blacksmith, an educator, and from what I've seen on Instagram, a damn good gardener. Haley, thank you so much with your patience with me for waiting a whole year to hear this episode. You are the best. So please welcome today's guest, Haley Woodward. No, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Okay, well, you know, take a deep breath and remember to talk into the mic and uh, you're doing great. Just bask in this air conditioning in my it's central nice. air. It's very nice. Air conditioning is very nice. Would you say today is a hot day compared to Texas or are we still just kind of wimps for complaining about it? It's different. I've been comparing humidity levels in Philadelphia and other places I've been as to Austin. And Austin was a lot hotter, but it was a little drier. Yeah. But it does get pretty humid in Austin also. Hmm. Kind of depends on whether it's a wet summer or a dry summer. Are you having a dry summer? Because most of the world is having very dry summers. I'm not there. Oh, right. I'm not there. I'm here. And actually, I've been carrying with me a beautiful breeze of fresh air everywhere I go. It's just been the perfect temperature. Oh, look at L- you. Literally, the whole drive out into Massachusetts, Johnstown, P- Philadelphia, mm-hmm. it's all been lovely. I mean, it's gotten a little, it's gotten a little steamy since I've been here. But Ugh, um, yeah. what are you going to do? You know, it's a... Uh, hometown favorite. You're going to go to the beach. That's what you're going to do. That's what I did yesterday. I was like, oof, yeah, it's hot. I'm out of here. Find yeah. a pool. I'm still, though, every time I cr- scratch my skull right now, I look underneath my nails and I still have sand in my hair That's because uh, it was super windy. <laughs> and I laid on the beach to have a nap and I woke up and I literally looked like like a sand dune. I was yeah. just covered. Like a special sand castle. <laughs> yeah, it was a very special sand castle and <laughs> I'm not getting it out of my hair. That's fun. Um, okay, listeners, I'm sitting 
I'm in person, woo, woo. for now. Hope you know things don't change. Um, with Haley Woodward. Hello. Hi. Hey. Welcome. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, uh, a sweet friend I made at a craft school years ago who reached out and was like coming through Philly, and I, of course, immediately was like, "Will you do an interview with me?" <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to use that to my advantage. Um, yeah. Be warned if you are an artist, and I know you, and you're coming to Philadelphia. There's a good chance I'm going to try to get you on the microphone because um, I'm shameless in that way. But hey, thanks for coming on the microphone, Haley. My pleasure. It's lovely to be here. Um, Haley is a blacksmith. Haley, will you give listeners a, give them your elevator pitch. Like if somebody asked you what you do, tell them, tell them what you do. Well, I would say that uh, as of right now, I'm mostly an educator. Uh, I teach at a community college in Austin, Texas in the welding department, but uh, my specialization is in architectural and ornamental metals, which is a fancy way of saying that I teach blacksmithing and uh, the related skills that you would need to start a career in uh, producing ornamental, architectural ornamental ironwork. Um, but I uh, have been obsessed with blacksmithing for a large chunk of my life at this point. Um, yeah. It's kind of my key focus in my creative endeavors and a lot of my friendships involve that and uh, my work definitely involves that. So yeah. Um, yeah. I like that. So, okay, a few things. Question, what are your pronouns? Because I've been trying to remember to ask everybody that before. Uh, mine are he. Him. Him. He, him. Okay. Didn't yeah. mean to answer for you, but I kind of yeah. knew. No, I, I get those confused sometimes. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. uh, and also, you know, it's interesting because people ask me, are you a metalsmith? Are you a jeweler? I always... <laughs> I'm a snob and I'm like, I'm an adornment artist, but I came up with that a couple years ago and I'm sticking yeah, to it. Yeah. Do you call yourself a blacksmith if somebody asks you You that? know, um, I think I've, I've heard other people say it like this and I usually throw out metal worker first mm -hmm. because blacksmith can get to be a longer conversation maybe than you want to have. Oh yeah. Um, so I usually just say I'm a metal worker and then if they show any interest at all, I am happy to go down the road and be like, we can nerd out about all the things I can and cannot do. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it just lands there. I, I, yeah. I'm a metal worker. I teach at a community college in the welding department. That sometimes is all people need to hear. And, yeah. then, and then I can move on. Uh, other people are like, oh my gosh, tell me more. Like, what's that like? And I'm like, all right, well. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> do you know what an anvil is? <laughs> yeah, here uh, we go. Because I've got a few and I, and I care about them. Um, and it's funny because, so you're on this journey this summer because you are a full-time educator now, which is really cool. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Gonna Thank ask you. more about that, obviously. Um, so you got that you got that nice summer vacation life now. I took the summer off. I yeah, certainly did. Because that's yeah. what you do when you're an educator. Yep. Yep. Wow, wow. I highly recommend it. And you're on a journey. I am. Um, and so you are teaching in places, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, last summer, something similar was supposed to happen. For some reason that didn't work out. <laughs> um, so this summer I picked up some of those pieces and yeah, I left Austin and I drove through Memphis and the Midwest up into Massachusetts to see my family. And then um, I taught a two week class at the Center for Metal Arts in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. I have a little bit of a break before uh, I'll end my summer teaching a two-week class at Penland School of Craft. Mm -hmm. And that'll conclude, and then I'll have to hightail it back to Austin to start teaching the fall semester a few days later. Yeah, and some people listening might be like, oh, okay, well, you have your summer vacation, but it sounds like you're just 
teaching here and there, but... Right, it's a weird way to spend your summer vacation from a teaching career <laughs> is to drive your car places and do more teaching. Yeah, but yeah. those places, I mean, you and I can attest to the craft school life and experiences that those places can be really fun to teach. Yeah, yeah, they can. I mean, they're super fun and they're, as an educator, I think it's important to get out into the world and see what your what your industry is doing. And mm -hmm. so one way to do that is to go to places, other places where they teach and see how they do it and get a vibe from them and just like look at their facilities and reflect on all that. Another way to do it is to visit metal workers, oh, in my case, metal workers along the way and just hang out with them and get a sense of like what their businesses are doing and what what their demands are on their businesses and things like mm -hmm. that. So I can hopefully reflect on that and better educate my students in what they should be focusing on or what they could expect or you know, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Good not, professional development. Yeah, professional development. And I get to cruise around and, you know. See people. See people and hang out, see my family. I didn't get to see them for a while last year. And so, um, yeah, it's a great way to do that. And it's funny because when you reached out, I was like, yeah, Philly, you're in Philly. I have known you a handful of years, but somehow forgot that you're from Philly. Yes, born and yeah. raised. So, yes. oh, okay, so born and raised in Philly. Yep. Um, that's fun. And so you still have family here. You told me you're staying with your brother. Yes, my brother, Ben. Cool. And then, um, so you graduated high school in Philadelphia area? Yes, I did. Yeah. I went to a place called Delaware Valley Friends School on the main line in Philadelphia. Oh, I've heard all um, about this main line. I'm learning more and more about it. Yeah, yeah. This one was extra special. Why um, was it extra special? Well, especially <laughs> when I went there. Well, I'm dyslexic, and so it was a school that catered to kids with basically learning disabilities and maybe some like behavioral issues. Oh. Um, and so it was a very small school. It had a Quaker... Um, what do you call that? Like a Quaker ideology or something like that? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and so it was, but it was a great experience. I mean, I, I, I really actually enjoyed high school for the most part because of that and mm -hmm. have generally found schooling to be very difficult. Yeah. So. Is your, was this high school one of those kind of places that they had things like metal smithing that you could do there? No, it wasn't like that. I mean, they had an art program, but I mean, honestly, it was um, it was a very small school. It was just starting. Mm -hmm. Our entire campus was located on like the top two floors of an administrative building in a what I thought was a pretty failing junior college. <laughs> okay. Um, so it was it was pretty wacky. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, yeah, like just small, little, tiny, weird little classrooms and small hallways, and everybody just on top of each other all the time. And I mean, mm -hmm. it was kind of fun in that regard, but if you didn't get along with someone or like, you know, someone annoyed you, uh, everything was just so tight. It's like, you couldn't yeah. get away from You couldn't really get away from that person. You had to really work it out. So oh, maybe yeah. so there were maybe some life skills might've developed through that experience. Um, so you graduated high school? I did, graduated high school. I eventually went, I went to college in Greensboro, North Carolina. And college was really brutal because uh, I just am terrible at reading and writing, yeah. <laughs> which is what they want you to do in college for the most part. Yeah. So I had a lot of back and forths in college and dropped out a few times and came home to Philly and worked and did other things and did some travel and then eventually went back to school. And I really, I got an art degree because I found out 
well, I saw people using metalworking equipment in the mm-hmm. sculpture department, and I mean, it was really just like, oh, you can get a degree in that? That's that's a thing? Yeah. Oh. Running a blowtorch is a thing? <laughs> Doesn't sound like you have to read or write yeah, too much I was like, that. yeah, you guys, you guys write any papers? What do you guys do? And they're like, no, we just come out here and, and crank the radio and cut things up and try and stick them back together again. And I was like, I'm sold. <laughs> sold, what do I do? Where do I sign up? Uh, anyway, and yeah, and, and I mean, that really, I mean, I joke about it, but that really is kind of the only way I got through college because it was very, yeah. it was very difficult to do the normal routine of college, like, you know, reading tons of, uh, yeah, reading and processing tons of information and then writing about mm-hmm. it and all that stuff. I mean, it just, it's never been a thing I'm very quick at. Yeah. So, yeah, so luckily I found the art department. I found specifically metalworking because that was really what I gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then I was kind of lucky enough to leave college, immediately get a job working for a local sculptor slash metal worker. Um, and he taught me a ton of stuff about fabrication and about assembly and working. He made like large sculptures in Greensboro and he did architectural residential ironwork. Mm-hmm. And he also convinced me very quickly because he was clear that I didn't learn how to weld at art school. Um, I learned how to kind of weld, um, but he was like, you don't actually know how to weld though. So, <laughs> so I, we're gonna have to like, yeah, he was like, but that. obviously I can tell you're into it. So I think you should go to community college at night after work and learn how to weld. He even paid for my first semester at community college as a, like a uh, investment with him as an employee. Hold up, I, I got a few questions, sorry. Yeah. my Before I forget them, my wandering mind, but Greensboro, what's the name of the college you went to? Guilford College. And how did you find that college? Just like someone was like, go here. Yeah. I'm always curious about people pick college. Oh, you know, actually I had a homeroom teacher in high school who hung out there while his girlfriend at the time went there and worked <laughs> at the radio station, WQFS Greensboro. Oh. And um, shout out to QFS. Um, and he was like, I think you'd like it there. No, this is a guy who went there like in the 70s. <laughs> You know, okay. it's like 1996. And he's like, I think it's sometime in 1970, it was fun. Uh, but I I think I think other people had recommended it. It was also Quaker. Not that I'm Quaker. But, but it was related. But I vibe with Quakers pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. And I just went there and it felt good to me. I don't know. What was your first um, focus of study? Like you didn't go there as an art college. You kind of. No. So then oh my God, was... so much silly stuff. Uh, I was pre-dentistry. I mean, as someone, Haley, I can relate to you. I've dropped out of college multiple times. Like, yeah, I'm not very good yeah. at it. So, pre-dentistry uh, ones. I, I focused on medieval Japanese history for a while. Oh, which, my gosh. Which I really liked. But, man, the reading, the writing, I was like, get me out of here. I was also mass yeah. comm because I loved the radio station. Did you ever do the radio station while you were there? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, I did. Yeah. I worked at WQ. I mean, I had a show at WQFS Greensboro. You looking at my tattoo right oh, now? Nice. KMSC nice. Fusion 88.3 FM. There it is. City's only alternative. Okay, sorry. Yeah. 2 a.m. to... 5 a.m. Wednesday nights was my first radio show. It was amazing. So wait, where anything did, you want to do? You did not graduate from there. No, I did. Oh, I, so you kept I, at I did. it? I did. I dropped out and then I went back and I finished because that was where like my credits were and I still knew some people there. So it just felt like nice. once I kind of realized the that there was some benefits to getting a degree and just finishing that, not like throwing all that away basically. Um, yeah. Uh, I because I still had friends in the area and stuff. I thought, well, let me just go back there. I think if I focused in this other area, I could, I could get it done. 
Did you, were you paying out of pocket for school? No, my parents paid for college. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. What do your parents do? They're educators. Ah, so they they're, were, they're really yeah, they into it. Yeah, they both taught at community colleges, at, sorry, at community colleges for most of their careers. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, so it was important for them. They instilled that in you. Yeah, and I think it's also why I felt so guilty about having to finish. Like, I think if I just, mm. I paid for it and didn't want to do it, I would just be like, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. But they'd already invested this money into it, and I wasn't, you know, I, yeah, I was like, it was like, you know, it's like swimming to an island and you're halfway there and you don't quite know what to do. Uh, yeah, well, you uh, don't get a refund if you don't quit. Yeah, finish. exactly. I know so that I was like, I might as well, well just finish swimming to that island and see what happens when I get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I love that. And then, so the guy that you're working for, you're you said that you got a you lucked out and you got that job right after you ended. Um, yeah, it was an internship that turned into a full time job oh, as, as I graduated. So then, <laughs> what was your degree in when you graduated? What was the title of it? I think art. <laughs> That was it? Just art? I don't know. Yeah, I think art. I okay. guess it must be art. Well, you got that piece of paper. Somewhere, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you're teaching at a community college, so. Yeah. It has to be art, I guess. Okay, good. And what was the name of the guy that you worked for? That guy's name is Jim Gallucci. Oh, And good he name. still works in Greensboro last time I went through there. Um, I usually swing by like I'm about to do in the next few weeks as I head to Penland. Um, but yeah, he was a nice guy. Really, yeah. at that point in my career, really helpful really just taught me all the kind of basic stuff I needed to know about fabrication mm -hmm. and welding and and yeah we built everything from small scale models to like honestly like 35 foot tall sculptures that went wow. in like public parks and stuff like working with cranes and rigging and all this like I mean honestly for a I don't know a 20 year old it was a pretty cool job to get yeah um and and you know that's that thing where it's like Internships were, that was their intention. You know, you'd get an internship. Yeah. If it worked out well, you could find yourself in a position that perhaps if you just applied for would have never gotten. And I love when I hear examples of that where somebody invests in you as their intern. Yeah. And yeah. then it, yeah. Cause that's great that he empowered you to go back to community college to get those like hard and fast skills. Yeah. Because, you know, I didn't possess the skills I needed to do the stuff I wanted to do in the shop. And I think he could tell. Yeah. I was doing a lot of grinding and running the saw and sweeping and poli you know, like, yeah, polishing, applying like waxes and stuff, just like stuff mm -hmm. that didn't take as much skill. And he was like, if you want to be fabricating all these big things we build, you need to like prove that you can lay a bead that looks good and is easy to clean up with the grinder and the mm -hmm. kind of the, the key elements of fabrication basically. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, and it was great. And I, and I loved community college. It was exactly what I wanted. It was, it was a completely straightforward presentation of the information and then just plenty of time to apply it and practice it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, in the sense of welding, learning to weld. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I had a great experience there. And, and then I guess that really is what propelled me in a way to Austin. Uh, Jim had a small blacksmithing area at his shop and he knew a little bit about it. I wouldn't say he's like a, you know, master blacksmith or anything, but he had had the equipment to do it mm -hmm. and he would apply it to his work as needed. Um, and so as jobs came up, he would show me, okay, here's how you put a point on the end of the bar. Now we need like, you know, 250 of those for this <laughs> fence panel. Have at it. Try Have and make fun. try and make them all look the same. We know? call this forging. Yeah, and we're like, okay, cool. Let me do this for all week, you know, or two weeks. Yeah, and um, and then 
And so then I realized with him, I was only going to get kind of like piecemeal bits of information. And I wanted like all of it basically because yeah. I mean I like fabricating and I liked building things but I once I got stuff hot and started smushing it you know that I just all that really clicked with me like you know uh, the kind of plastic qualities of hot material mm-hmm. so I found a community college program in Austin Texas because mm-hmm. I was you know hooked on community college and um, I have some friends that, li- that live there and I had a couple friends wanted to move there and so we all kind of decided that would be a good thing to do and I went there and I went through the program that I teach at now, basically. And I um, I lucked out and got uh, jobs where I was working during the day in the construction mm-hmm. industry and fabrication. And I was going to school at night. And I did that for about two years and just kind of crammed as much information as I could about blacksmithing into my head. And, um, and then, uh, then I luckily met Again, through the college, one of my closest friends, uh, Colby, and me and him, he had just bought a property to open a shop up in, and me and him kind of moved in together uh, shop-wise, yeah. and we've been kind of shop-married ever since. <laughs> okay, it's so... A love, it's a love that keeps on giving. You know? First of all, when I first met you, it was with Colby, so this is a very romantic, yeah. lovely thing to talk about. Um, few questions. A, how old are you right now? I am 43. You look good for 43. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you're welcome. You. Well, I moisturize. So. Uh, how long did you have that first job with whom I'm going to call your mentor? Because that is truly kind of a mentorship sure. yeah, relationship. Yeah, he was my, yeah, sure. My, one of my first mentors, yeah. Um, how long did you work for him? I think two and a half years. Did you actually get a degree at that community college? Or was it like taking like a night class at the community college that you just No, I think I only took credits? two or three classes. Oh, one, nice. one class a semester. Um I think no, just just two. Cl- I took two classes there, Mig and Tig. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you said that he paid for those because they were kind of informing the work that you would do with for him. Yeah, basically. That's nice. I don't know if he paid for both. I think he might have just paid for the first one and got me started, and then I yeah. decided to do the second one. Um, That's. I mean, rad. it's it's not. I mean, the no, no, no. thing about community colleges, it's like you know, like currently my college is about four hundred and fifty dollars a semester per yeah. class. So it's like, I mean, it's not like he. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so wonderful segue. Thank yeah, you. Haley. But he did. But he did. You did do it. It's a super nice thing. You know, No. I mean, yeah. hey, do not take that for granted. Yeah. I have not had many employers that are willing to pay for training that relates to their job. They want you to have these skill sets, but not a lot of people are willing to pay for you to go and do that. So I yeah. think that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and then also, like I said, that segues, segues into the fact that when we were having dinner the other night talking about how you're working at a community college, I actually, when I finally took a night class and decided I loved jewelry and wanted to go back to school, I was gonna go to a program at a community college because they are so affordable. Yeah, And that was kind of what led to this idea of like, ding, 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 love to have you on the podcast to talk about this, which is alternative educations, even though I, you know, community college is not alternative, but I don't think it has been played up enough. Yeah, and I think it. I think it depends on where you live. Mm-hmm. Growing up on the East Coast, where there, especially in the Philadelphia area, where there is a college and private college about every four and a half feet, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah, you have I like mean, Penn and the yeah, Ivy League. I mean, I and, yeah. yeah, like I, I grew, I grew up, and I'm not proud of this, but when we were in high school, 
Delaware County Community College was, you know, 13th grade. It was like not, yeah. nobody wanted to go to community college. They were like, please let me go anywhere else but community college because it just had like a stigma attached to it or something like that, which yes. is horrible because Thank it's- Thank you for saying that word, stigma. Yeah, because yeah. it's not, that's not what it is. It's like, it's, yeah, it's a great jumping off point if you couldn't get into the college you want to get into or didn't have good grades in high school or, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I mean, it just, it's just a shame that it like, but that type of thoughts would perpetuate about it. But in Austin, it's totally different. Austin Community College is like, it's huge. It's like, mm-hmm. we've got like seven campuses and they bought like a defunct mall in the middle of town and turned it into a mega campus with like all these different programs like scattered throughout the mall. And that's like, kind of amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like so rad. I'm so, yeah, they just do, they make so many good decisions like mm-hmm. that. And, and no one feels weird about going to community college. Yeah. Um, so I think it just kind of depends on, yeah, perspective where you're from, maybe. But there was a stigma around mine because I w- grew up in Iowa, and my little town had two like private liberal arts college, and then there was Western Iowa Tech Community College, WIT, as we called it. And I did kind of turn my nose down on it. And now looking back, knowing some individuals that went there for things, I'm like, oh, damn, that's smart because it's hard and fast skills and something that really stuck out to me when you were speaking about graduating with your art degree or whatever it is reminded me (laughs) i'm I'm positive it's art (laughs) it's like it's in art um i knew somebody that i worked with that had a sculpture degree from a pretty prestigious art school and we were working for an artist but that person didn't have the technical skills they needed for that job and it was really surprising for me as somebody that was um apprenticing with artists to get my skill set to see somebody with this degree that they had finished but then to go to a job and not actually have these skills yeah like not actually know have a sculpture degree and not know how to weld have a sculpture degree and not know how to use maybe some bigger equipment yeah um that was really shocking to me and on that too Seattle Community College is rad. There's no stigma out there. Like those programs, that's like where people go yeah. for their like graphic design program and things like that. And the jewelry at North Seattle Community College, I think Lynn Hull runs it. That's one of the only programs. I think it's the only program in, in the state of Washington for jewelry, small metals. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so I, th- th- I think what you just described is very common in that people go to school for say sculpture. We'll just say that. And there are more learning how to talk conceptually about the ideas that they want to put across with their sculpture um, than they are learning the skill sets with how to execute the three-dimensional, you know, uh, challenges of mm-hmm. making their sculpture. Um, and and then I just have, an, I have the experience that like I get students now who went through a program, kind of like, just like me, went through a program. No one really sat them down and showed them, you know, how nuts and bolts work. And then... Yeah. Um, now they're coming to community college because they're like, well, I actually want to like, I'm getting these opportunities, but I can't really build public art until I learn how to weld. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's common. Um, that mm-hmm. might just be like, well, sh- yeah, I don't know. That might be a common or a failure of sculpture programs. <laughs> but um, it's interesting. I feel like the pendulum swings one way or the other. It's like a yeah. hard and fast, like technical program or a lot of like conceptual like where's the perfect place in the middle? Right, right, and that might just be difficult to do because it it takes a lot of time to get technically proficient, and it takes a lot of a, I mean, yeah, it's like a a different type of person that's has those like really reaching conceptual ideas and can think those kind of through. 
Mm-hmm. And and they also don't necessarily need to be the same person. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I mean, plenty of other things. You have a studio technician and you have kind of the creative. Yeah. And those people work together to execute and create, you know, some masterpiece, you know? Yeah. Um, so it might not, you know, I, I lean more towards the technical side. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily think that has to be a bad thing, but it is good yeah. when even if you're on the more conceptual level, you at least understand how things go together. And and yeah, um, it makes you a better designer. Sure. I actually encountered. So when I met you, we'll get back on your trajectory. We're gonna swing back in. <laughs> yeah. But I met you at Penland, and you and Colby were teaching together um, at the Penland School of Crafts, which I talk a lot about because I'm a craft school girl and. I will say I encountered a lot of individuals who were in probably more conceptually driven programs who would go to craft schools in the summer to learn hard and fast skills. Yeah. Um, I did encounter that a lot and I thought that was really great. Um, But of course you're then paying more money out of your pocket outside of your academic program to learn these skills. But um, however people want to like mismatch that up, that's great. Yeah. So well, I don't, and I don't think that that's a poor investment. I mean, oh no, like hard numbers. If Penland costs you two grand for a two week experience or something in that realm, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's a lot. But at you know, let's say you can work in the studio for thirteen straight days all day long and just relentlessly pick someone's brain, mm-hmm. which you are. I mean, that is kind of to me like that's what <laughs> it's set up to do. Yeah. Um, then that's that's pretty good. I mean, you can get yeah. a lot of information out of somebody. You can like really dissect their process and really, yeah, like really find out a lot of what they do and how they get there. And um, so, I, I mean, I think if you can't see the investment in that, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I just I think it's, I think it's totally worth it. And I'm course. always, and I will just like acknowledge it on the podcast because I'm this person. I am always playing devil's advocate in terms of like financial investment and sure, what programs yeah. should get out. And so it's always good to have somebody that's like, yeah, but this is also this because I just, I hear a lot about student debt. So I always oh, yeah. am always saying like, okay, but if you're paying this much for a sculpture degree, why are you not getting the things that help you actually make the sculptures? Uh, yeah. I mean that I totally understand. And, and it, and it is weird that you have to like pay it for the degree and then go to community college and learn how to implement it or something like that. But, you know, you from know. my perspective, yeah. it's my, you know, my intention with going to that program would be to have all those skills, but some people's intentions are just to be designers or get something completely different out of it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So then, so you meet Colby in yes. Austin and um, you're going to school still when you meet him and start your like, yeah, shop well, we, relationship? We met through ACC because ACC, Austin Community College set up an exchange program or like a, a three-week summer class where we all got on a bus in Austin and drove to Santa Clara del Cobre, Mexico, in Michoacan, Mexico, and we took coppersmithing with this, at this kind of local Sakati, which is like a community college. Oh, cool. And, um, uh, and yeah, we learned like traditional coppersmithing techniques from this guy, Maximo, in a uh, in Santa Clara, and um, we met on the bus down there, mm-hmm. and then we just kind of hit it off and Aww. realized we had a lot in common, and um, we realized that our brothers went to school together potentially. Oh wow, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is funny. Um, and um, yeah, and then when we—I mean, that was three weeks of just like hanging out nonstop in Mexico, so we yeah. got pretty close. And then um, 
we uh that's when he was moving back to start the shop and asked me if i wanted to move my stuff in there and yeah, yeah. um so also austin community college kind of helped with that quite a bit yeah um great yeah yeah when i met you i you were in grad school yeah i think i was that was the no no well shoot oh if i was teaching that was the summer after my first year of grad school yeah yeah and i remember my initial thought was blacksmiths get mfas right yeah <laughs> i was really confused about that and then i learned a lot more about it because i became friends with you and colby yeah. and zach i actually went and visited you guys there. yeah yeah at carbondale. Um, yeah yeah had a good time in carbondale yeah so i i did i got my mfa from uh southern illinois university in carbondale from 2011 to 2014, it's a three-year program, and uh, I, and that was like 10 years after I graduated from college, which I thought was very uh, right the way to, the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I had a bunch of experience working in a shop, running my own business, working for other people. You know, I knew how to blacksmith for the most part. I knew how to fabricate. Um, I wasn't really going there to learn those skills. I was going there to, you know, I just wanted the time to invest in myself and in my, you know, artistic endeavors. I wanted to use that shop space that they had. Um, I wanted to use the equipment they had, that kind of idea. Yeah. Um, so I was really pretty focused when I got there. I mean, also, I mean, I was excited that I was going to like be exposed to new ideas and new people and you know, whatever they had to teach me. I mean, it's not that I knew everything. I was just felt really confident that like, okay, I have enough knowledge under my belt. I feel like I kind of like jump off at this point and really excel if I just had like the time to throw at it, which was kind of my feeling as I went towards grad school. How um, old were you? Um, I was like a timestamp. Yeah. Let's see. I think I was 33. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Jesus here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was yeah. in my Jesus here. Um, and how did you catch wind? Okay. Two questions and you can answer these in whatever order you want. Yeah. A, or number one, um, what was your intention with it, right? Because I feel, I mean, I feel like you just did say all these intentions, but beyond that, getting the actual MFA, was it because you knew you wanted to be a teacher? Um, and that's typically why a lot of people want to get their MFA for tenure track positions and things like that. And then the second question is, how did you catch wind of Carbondale, like of all the programs? Yeah, I think I went there because I knew that if a teaching job opened up at my college, I was already teaching at ACC at that point as an adjunct. Oh, okay. And I enjoyed it. Um, but I was it was basically like one, maybe two classes a semester. It was always kind of whether or not um, full-time faculty got their, whether their classes got filled or not, that kind of thing. So it, was, it, was, it wasn't super dependable. Um, I shouldn't say that. It was dependable, but it just, yeah. It was always kind of like scraping together teaching and um, working on the side and yeah, which is yeah, a, anyway, hustle. a hustle. It was a hustle. Yeah, it was a full-time hustle. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so I realized that, you know, I kind of just wanted to change. I wanted to try something different. I'd been in Austin like uh, 10 years or so at that point. Um, uh, I just wanted to do something different. I wanted to leave town yeah. for a little bit. And I ultimately thought, well, and if I get an MFA, if things in the future open up, I know that that will help. You know, if I wanted, if I decided I wanted to do like a full-time teaching job, yeah. Um, which, you know, I, like I said, I grew up in a household with two full-time teachers, and I could tell that it was the type of thing that seemed 
like a nice lifestyle. Yeah. Hence, I'm traveling around all summer. <laughs> yeah. You know, in my Subaru collecting a paycheck. Well, um. <laughs> did you also like, yeah, because uh, that's a good question that I keep forgetting to ask you because um, culturally, you know, as someone that's a non-blacksmith or before I went to pet craft schools and whatnot, I would hear blacksmith and I would think very specific things about how you can make a living as a blacksmith. Yeah. Um, and so for you, what are different career paths that you could do with what you had acquired? With what I got out of Carbondale? Well, not me, or even pre-Carbondale, like um, As I left set. Austin yeah. Community College having taken a few classes mm-hmm. in blacksmithing. Um, yeah, I think blacksmithing is, it's tricky. I mean, I always tell people like, you really have to want to do it um, because it it's not necessarily a, um, there's a handful of us out there and they're all working hard to kind of accomplish the few jobs that there are for um, for blacksmiths. Um, so you, yeah, you kind of have to really want to do it. Um, most people probably become architectural smiths, mm-hmm. what I describe. So you're making gates, railings, handrails. You know, you're probably doing a mix of fabricated work and forged work um, and uh, you probably work in a shop that, you know, does, yeah, residential work, commercial work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very particular job, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be a designer, craftsperson, you know, all of it in one. You might work for a company where they have people that do specialize in those different things. Those are generally the companies I see that do the best um, mm-hmm. because it's hard to wear every hat at the same time. Um, but I have also know blacksmiths who are artists and sculptors and do pretty good. And again, it's a busy job that takes a lot of dedication. But then there's people who are, you know, especially in the past maybe 10 years, I've seen more and more people become these kind of like very focused craftspeople um, who kind of have find their niche and then they just go like, deeper and deeper into that niche and just execute at like a higher and higher level. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, people like Seth Gould come to mind. Um, mirrors. Mirrors. And I met him because he was at Carbondale's program. He's like yeah, knife, yeah. knife maker extraordinaire. Yeah, or I mean, there's a guy in North Carolina that just makes axes. It's like he started in a shed and now he's got this whole business making, he like can't can't make, he can't physically make them fast enough. It's like, oh, wow. um, and 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 I, you know, uh, I don't forget his name. Hol- Hoffman, something Hoffman, and um, but he's a real. He's actually forging them and from start to finish and using actual technique and you know, um, yeah, it's like a, just a very. It's a very clear example of someone who like found a blacksmithing product and is making a what looks like to be a pretty good living at it. Yeah, um, doing that and um, and then yeah, I mean nowadays too. There's like the whole knife making thing which I feel is like maybe a little different than what we do. I mean, we're kind of like cousins, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, Kissing it's, cousins. Yeah, 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 but uh, um, but I mean, I, I, I don't really know that much about knife making and nor it's, you know, um, how you get, how you make a living as a knife maker, but I mean, it, it's definitely out there, people do it. Yeah. But um, yeah, my, my program, you know, really is teaching you the skill set you need to step into a um, ornamental or architectural fabrication and blacksmithing shop and to be a successful kind of um, employee when you walk in the door. 
Um, yeah. You can learn a lot of other things or apply what you learn with me in a number of different ways, but we just use that kind of um, outlet or that, we use that to kind of explain the skill sets yeah. um, and the processes and the tools and the, you know, um, because we think that, you know, that is what you will most likely find employment doing mm -hmm. as you leave our program. Now, sometimes I think that's a little bit, um, I might be a little confused because I also <laughs> see people making a living as blacksmiths making YouTube channels. About blacksmithing about skills. About blacksmithing skills. So I'm kind of like, well, maybe I'm just really not maybe serving my students correctly. Yeah. Maybe instead of teaching them how to run a power hammer, I should be teaching them how to like. Make you know, a YouTube video. Make a YouTube video. And a but, reel on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, and I, I mean, I say that jokingly, but it's kind of true. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think we can really do that in our program, but. Um, <laughs> don't really have the time. Don't really have the time for those Also, details, like but. another tangent, or I guess, oh, that's not a thing. That's not the right word. Um, another path you could do is, I mean, I've met some welders that make a lot of money. So my dad was a bowl maker. Mm -hmm. Um so specialized welding skills. So you teach welding, of course. Right, so yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I teach in the welding department and I am an one side of the department, which is architectural ornamental metals. So I yeah. really don't teach much welding at all. I might turn on a welder three or four times in some of my classes. Okay. I teach you skill sets at the anvil using a power hammer, tool making, mm -hmm. um, architectural forms and shapes, how to assemble things using, you know, rivets and collars and traditional forge welds and things like that. Okay. On the other end of the building is a, the straight up welding side of the program, okay. which you could do either or, or both, but mm -hmm. that's where you step in a booth and you run beads all day, every day until you're a robot that can never falter in your yeah. application of specific welds in specific materials in specific positions. And then you, and I've had people that go through these programs and it's pretty rigorous and you get tested at each level oh, until yeah. you're like. Yeah, I mean, it's a real national, it's a certified position. Yeah. And yes, you can definitely, once you get those certifications, you can charge a lot more by the hour and you can work in fields like steel erection or um, uh, pipeline or, um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, every, you know, uh, in Austin, there's a lot of like microchip, I believe, and they do a lot of like stainless steel tubing, like these weird, you know, kind of like structures full of piping and yeah. stuff like that, pumping gases around. And I don't know, however you make a microchip, I'm not totally sure how that works, but I don't know what a microchip is <laughs> I went most a, of the time. <laughs> I went on a date with a guy once that I was like, oh, this is never gonna work because <laughs> like weeks out of the, I don't know, out, whatever. He lived on like a rig out in the middle of nowhere. So oh, yeah. for like weeks or months, he'd be out there and he was a specialized welder that could weld underwater. I mean, dude made a lot of money. I was like, cha-ching. Yeah. Um, but then, <laughs> You know, I was like, I don't really want to date anybody that like yeah. is gone for weeks or months on end and then comes back to shore and whatever. I was like, that's yeah. a really wild lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's oil rig stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And my dad did that kind of stuff. He built, helped build like refineries and crazy stuff because he made a lot of money at a certain time. Yeah, yeah. But he also got electrocuted. So. <laughs> And then his hair turned white. <laughs> oh, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm laughing. Yeah. R.I.P. Ah. Anyways, so went on that tangent. But um, okay, because I like having insight as to all the ways that you can say I want to be into blacksmithing. But there's so many ways you can kind of make it your own and make a living at it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and I mean, and you know, it would take me too long to just rattle off all these different people 
I know across the country running small independent shops in their community, you know, mm-hmm. doing everything from, you know, a little bit of fabrication to kind of constantly trying to find that job where you get to do some really fun, interesting forge shapes or design something yourself mm-hmm. or people doing sculptural commissions for like public parks art. and things like that. Yeah. yeah, public art. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, and then there are still like this weird handful of people that are just like, I literally just blacksmith. I, meaning I like, I work at an anvil. I, I just forge like very traditional objects like for reproduction hardware or, you know, reproduction mm-hmm. like lock making and, um, I mean, there are people that do that. That's a very, I mean, that's probably the, maybe the hardest thing. Very I think niche. To, yeah, very niche. The hardest thing to find. Yeah. Um, especially if you live in like, but it's all, it's a kind of regional too. Like even just the other day I was out in uh, a little bit west of uh, Philadelphia and um, hanging out with someone that did exactly that. Re- rebuilt old like stone houses from the ground up kind of and made the hardware and the hinges so they looked appropriate and you know, and that was a part of his job was like, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so, um, another thing that I cut you off cause you kept trying to go talk when you started talking about Carbondale so we can get back to Carbondale. So you go sure. there for a grad program. How, how many years is the program? That's three years. Now the re- also reason why I want to talk about that is because it's kind of, it's the only one, right? For graduate work. Yes. I believe like it's the only program to get an MFA in yeah, blacksmithing. Yeah, I, I think there are other programs that have some blacksmithing equipment. So I wouldn't want to say it's like the only place you could do blacksmithing. Um, I think even like Cranbrook might have some blacksmithing equipment and yeah. maybe used to when another professor used to be there. Yeah. But maybe less now. Oh, yeah, because my previous guest, Mike Rossi, is a blacksmith and right. he went yes. to Cranbrook. I think there was a time, yeah. Um, but I think from what I've seen, uh, yes, if you are really focused on forged work and making art and sculpture, um, or just you know really diving into blacksmithing work, Carbondale's the graduate program at Carbondale is definitely the, the only one like it. I think. Yeah. Um, in that they have a full-on blacksmith shop with large equipment like hundred-ton press, a three-B nasal, power hammers, gas forges. You know, they have a lot of stuff there um, for you to utilize as opposed to maybe an anvil and a small forge and no one that really yeah. knows what they're doing. That kind yeah, of yeah, because yeah. I remember, I mean, drop his name again. Hey, Seth Gould. Um, you know, he was <laughs> Hi, at Seth. Mecca, Maine College of Art, and I oh, remember yeah. that yeah. he was so interested in it there. He was there for metalsmithing and whatnot that he asked his professor if he could just build a forge and like right. teach himself. I think he built like a, a gas forge, <laughs> learned how to build one, built it. I yeah. mean, that guy's an enigma. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so there's places around the country for sure that have aspects of blacksmithing, but for a holistic education on that, it's one of the like yeah. the spot maybe. Yeah, Carbondale has the best facility to do blacksmithing. Yeah. For sure. Um, how did you like your experience there? Um, I liked my experience at Carbondale. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, very self guided um so there wasn't a lot of like hands-on education really from uh, the instructors at carbondale um it was more a kind of space to work in and kind of explore the material and the processes um and you were granted like you know full access and 
there were lots of opportunities for like grant writing and um, so that I got to do things like go to places like Penland mm -hmm. and um, Haystack and stuff like that to take classes um, to kind of uh, fill in gaps in my education, I guess. And yeah, so it was really good. And I also lucked out and I went there with uh, a handful of really great people like um, uh, Ben Dory and Pat Quinn came in the same year as me mm -hmm. and we immediately got along and that made it really a nice experience because um, you know if you I have heard stories that if you know grads get in and they don't get along I mean it's it's just a small space and so you yeah. don't get along with people I mean like anything in life that can become really like stressful and kind of really suck your attention away from what you're supposed to be doing oh yeah I've experienced that before yeah yeah so I personally had a very good experience there um, however again I knew mostly what I was doing when I showed up um, enough to like really get started yeah. Um, I wasn't going there to learn blacksmithing, let's say. Um, and uh, yeah, and I had a really great group of people that I was there with. Um, so that's, I mean, that's really good feedback because if you're somebody who has an undergrad degree in like jewelry, small metals, and you want to get into that and you go to grad school there hoping to kind of acquire those skills, it's good to know that maybe a more solid technical base and self-direction absolutely yeah is the type i would of i would i would spend you know if that i mean i wouldn't if you are a small metals person i'm sorry yeah or jewelry we they call it small metals there so it's kind of burned in my brain is that tiny shiny tiny shiny i know yeah. you yeah. i remember going there and everybody's like oh tiny shiny girls yeah, here tiny, tiny, i was like shiny. all right get yeah. out of here <laughs> snobs yeah uh, well tiny shiny dark and scaly you know yeah um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't discourage anyone. I mean, they also have a, a, a program in small metals. Um, I didn't yeah. really participate in that too much. Um, but um, yeah, I would encourage someone that wanted to go there to go to somewhere like, say, you know, I mean, we say it, said it a hundred times now, but like Penland or Center for Metal Arts mm -hmm. or and do want some sort of intensive, like, you know, start from the basics and work your way up type of experience. Um, yeah. uh, or come to Austin and take an intro class and for me and then, go, and then go do that, you know? <laughs> come learn from me. There's yeah. also like um, Anderson Ranch, they do sculpture. Okay, I don't know anything about that place. I've seen it Well, they don't have Tiny bit, Shiny, but... so I've never gone there, but okay. um, they do have sculpture classes. Like I know like um, Andrew Hayes. Yes. Has taught there. Andrew I think Haas Haley has taught there. I'm just trying to pull the names of like people who make yeah. larger metal than me. Um, but yeah. Again, though, both people that aren't uh, don't do as much hot work. Yeah. Really distorting. I'm not gonna say they don't distort the material, but they're not like squishing bars. Yeah. They're like deforming plates, and so I could still. I don't. I don't know if they really have like like a um, a setup for like hot work in the way that Carbondale does hot work, which is yeah. like kind of rooted in this like traditional processes um, in that that's the equipment that they have, power hammers, coal forges, you know, hammers, set tools, tongs, that kind of thing. Um, so I think if you were gonna go to Carbondale, it would be in your best interest to learn how to do some of that first. Yeah. Um, and then when you get there, you're not asking like basic questions and finding it hard to find the time for people to answer them, that kind of stuff. Um, from my experience, if somebody listening is saying, I have wanted to get into more of this type of metal work and et cetera, my personal 
me, I did a two month class at Penland. Um, they call them concentrations in beginning blacksmithing. Um, where my instructor just laughed because when we learn how to forge and taper, he's like, oh, the jeweler just came here to make wire. Man, I love tapering and just drawing <laughs> out things. To just get, make it longer. Just can make I make it, it longer, longer and thinner? <laughs> yes, you can. You can always make it longer <sighs> and thinner. I really yeah. enjoyed that process. That I'm was kind of get funny. it hot one more time and make it a little bit longer <laughs> and just a slightly thinner. What do you think? Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so that's one experience. I also know Meg Martin, shout out, because, you know, yeah, gotta Meg love Martin. those. Um, oh, that's his timer we've been talking for. Guys, I was telling Haley, I was like, listen, I'm working with a podcast consultant and I got to cut down my time. My <laughs> my episodes have been way too long, according to my analytics. So we got to we gotta aim for like 45 minutes here, put the pressure on. And we're doing a great job. We're doing a great job because we're already wrapping up into the part of where we say, these are ways in which you can get that education. So yeah, getting yeah. back to it, Meg Martin, I know she lived in Vermont. Yeah, she had like a legit apprenticeship put yeah. on by the state of Vermont, which... Um, They'll pay the master and the apprentice yeah, to yeah. do it. They're to, trying. To transfer knowledge from skilled individuals to maybe slightly less skilled individuals like about like, yeah, like 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 craft history and process. And, and yeah, it sounds mm-hmm. like a really neat program. There's another... Another guy I know who did the same thing with lock making, um, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it, like the modern condition I only know his Instagram handle, um, but I think it's grease, <laughs> Greasy Luck, and he, um, yeah, unless I'm has been reading it wrong, which is another problem I have, just <laughs> completely, Remember yeah, completely guys, messing disclaimer. up people's Instagram handles and then calling them weird things when I meet them. <laughs> Hey, it's bird turkey. Oh, that's not that. <laughs> no, that's actually not what my hand. Well, you know, is, when I think of blacksmithing, I I thought of I think of tradition, and I think how it's been um, traditionally or historically, it was this like master apprentice kind of approach to passing oh, yeah, all those skills. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really. I mean, I learned that way for yeah. me. That worked for me the best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I know there's a lot of places that if you look into it. Um, there's funding for those things to happen. Yeah. To be facilitated. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, go to community colleges? You mean, like, what would I do if, if right now I was trying to get into this line of work? And, yeah. yeah. I want to kind of, like, shout them off. Like, you know, like, of course, I'm going to say craft schools because, duh. But yeah. other ways. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I would, I agree with you. I think if I were to steer anyone um, uh, who who wanted to, like, I guess it depends. If you kind of know it and you're like, I'm all in, I want to do this. Maybe I've already had a couple of experiences and I just, I'm, I'm you know, I don't want to go somewhere for, for a week. I want to like commit. I mean, obviously I'm going to steer you to Austin because we have a very affordable program mm-hmm. in that it's a community college prices. We teach, um, you know, we get an associate's degree if you want it, or we have up to like five or six, I think it's five different classes in blacksmithing that are 16 weeks long um, and you can kind of kind of box them together in a semester and do a, you know, really get a very in-depth exposure to the technical side of things. Um, we don't do that much like, I mean, you can get very creative if you want to, but again, all of our classes are kind of geared towards like kind of reproducing designs of architectural and ornamental designs. Okay. Um, uh, I try and make them fun and interesting and cover a lot of 
process and stuff, but you know, we're generally focused on object making and, and you know, grills and handrails and things like that. Yeah. But um but there's also there's the Tennessee Tech College has another similar program mm. that I think would be similar. Um again, those are all kind of like for people that maybe are like trying to get a degree of some sorts or work within that school s setting of um, you know degree-centered education like community colleges or undergraduate colleges. Mm -hmm. I think those two seem like probably the best places to do that. Then I would probably say focus on long format classes like at Center for Metal Arts at Penland. Um, I'm sure there's other ones, but I, don't, Haystack has a good, decent shop, but I right? don't. It's a good. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean Haystack is an awesome place, but they don't have quite that longer format yeah. setting that those two other places have. Yeah. In that you can go for six weeks and work all day every day because yeah, I think yeah. that's really what you're looking for is like you want to find a place where you can you know where you're not just gonna like be there once or twice and take class for an hour. You have to really like throw yourself into it and mm -hmm. just really commit. I mean, because uh, it's hard to learn. It's physically hard to learn. There's a lot of, you know, um, challenges in that it's just a very weird process. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, it's like hot metal and you're trying to manipulate it with a hammer and tongs and it's challenging. It's just very difficult to like get your brain, get your body to do what your brain is telling it to do. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> figure is. out with your brain, like what to do. It's just, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very tricky. It's um, a lot. I remember yeah. my hands were just like a mess. I remember yeah. I had to like, I had them taped up because you are, it's like jumping into it. You don't have your. Yeah, you need those perma gloves. Yeah, you gotta build up those, those scales. Yeah. yeah, And you know, wherever you're at, I, I remember like Adam Kaiser talking about, there's like a collective shop in, Long Beach that they had established, I think, I wanna say Long Beach, and they had classes. Yeah, totally, I mean, and that's, yeah, that's the other thing Look is there's- local. Yeah, there's local affiliates, basically, of our national group, Abana, the Artist Blacksmith Association North America, which is what it is, and it's maybe not the best at the moment, or it's getting better, or maybe it's getting worse, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, but it's there and it's a resource. And so yeah. I think you can look at their website and you know uh, find a local group near you that might um, have like open forge times. And maybe if that's only just a foot in the door to start talking to people in your area who have a shop and would let you come in and work three days a week and, or, or maybe volunteer or, you know, or, or apprentice or something like that. Um, that's another way to, I think get just exposure and like mm -hmm. kind of get experience and make the decision whether you wanna, you know, go move somewhere to take a formal class or um, go work in a mm -hmm. shop. Um, uh, yeah, that's usually what I point to point people towards. Yeah, um, approaching people can be really powerful, and just knowing also if they say no, that's fine because also taking on somebody is a oh, lot yeah, of work for sure. But so they also might know somebody. They might um, be able to point you in the right direction. You know, for someone mm -hmm. that is looking for help, maybe skilled or unskilled, um, and yeah, um, I think it's just important to kind of stick with it and keep trying because it's, you know, it's a very weird business and sometimes people have so much work they don't know what to do and then the next year they're, they got nothing. They got nothing for a year and then they get, you know, then the, that big job hits and they're working on a house for three years or something yeah. and they could hire, you know, you could literally learn, you know, on the job for three years, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of another more traditional way to, kind of learn the process for sure. Yeah. Um, but that again, that's kind of hit and miss. But the best way to find those people is to, you know, call around, um, 
Be a yeah. part of the community. Be a part of the show community. Show up, as people like to say. Show up. Yeah. 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 Haley. Yeah. This is great. Also, real quick. So you you got the job. You're a full-time teacher. Oh, yeah. Right. I, I did. I, I, I started it last August in the thick of the pandemic uh, as a full-time professor and basically now running the program and trying to steer its direction uh, to be to be the best program we can be. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, it's like it's going to be a fun couple years ahead of me, trying to get everything like working the right way. And uh, um, not that it wasn't working, but just you know, you kind of have things that you want to accomplish. And Make so, it your own. Yeah, and you're investing yeah. in it. That's yeah. so great. Well, you know, have fun on the rest of your summer journey. I oh, will. Thank tell you so Penland much. Tell hello for me. I will. Heading I to love Penland. that place. Yeah. I just my fondest memory was like I met you the first year I lived at Penland and. Were you guys teaching people how to throw or make axes? Because I just remember hanging out a lot and throwing a lot of axes at a lot of stumps. Yeah, we weren't teaching people how. It's just something that we did on a Sunday (laughs) to pass the time. And then we may or may not have spent a night throwing axes at stumps. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, as I remember it, very fun. Yeah, that was good times. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, this has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. As always, thank you for listening. Perceived Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Perceived Value. Stream us directly from our website at perceivedvaluedpodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.